time is hard here, but listening shouldn't be. So I'm your co-host, Sergeant Jake Motherfucker Welder. And I'm John. No, no fun nickname allowed. Bates. We both did corrections for a long time. Jake, a whole lot longer. He did 10 years. I just did six. Uh, Jake, how the hell are you doing today? Thanks for joining me today, old man. How's it going? Oh, good, but busy. How about you? I know you're probably just sitting around watching Netflix and soap operas and stuff, such. I literally am at the point now where I was joking with you last night about being disabled. Like, here's like how my day went yesterday. Like, I was supposed to go to work at nine. My mm-hmm. boss thought I worked at seven, though. And my boss recently just did me this huge solid. And I'm, this isn't at 911. This is at another job that I do that I've never spoken about before. So I got to get up at like 540 to drive an hour to get there. Because I just moved to an even smaller town with even fewer people. And uh, so I worked a full eight-hour day. And then I had to go like move some more stuff for three more hours. And then I went to the grocery store. And then when I came home, I mowed my acreage, which is about it's about 0.7 acres. So it's not a full acreage. Like it's a fractional mm. acreage. And I've never ridden on a riding mower before. Why? Because I was from a major city where we had bark chips instead of a lawn. And I lived in apartments most of my life. I did own a house once, but it was like a little, even though it was on a corner lot, it hardly had any grass to mow at all. I just used a little push mower. But now I've got this huge, like vast, you know, uh, Mexican football field, you know, not, not like soccer, but Mexican. Uh, so you get smaller the, the farther south you go. In, in Canada, it's 110 yards. Here, it's 100 yards. Down, down in uh, Mexico, when you're playing American football, it's only about 65 yards, so... Because um, you're using a soccer field, I guess. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm mowing a fuck ton. Well, I've never used this mower before, and it's not a zero turn mower. It's a, um, you know, you you go you go down a stretch, and then uh, when there's nowhere to turn around, you have to t- retract. You have to turn off the belt to, you know, so the blade stops spinning. Put it into reverse, and then slowly back out, and then like. Um, when you're in reverse, it's like first gear only. So even if you turn up the throttle, like, you know, you're not hardly moving in reverse. And it just takes forever to do. I've got 60 trees. So trying to maneuver amongst all these things. And again, this is my first time. At one point, I just drive straight on into a tree. Like, that's how bad it is. And I'm living <laughs> in a small town, which, which of course, is full of people who farm and shit. And, like, you know, um, doing things with the land in an economical way financially and like in terms of your time they're all really good at it and like i'm zooming Mm. around like like there's like a five-year-old on mario kart very embarrassing very hard to do i've even got like a very deep ditch where it's like i'm in constant danger of rolling this thing over on top of me and dying because that's what would happen so like at one point i'm like at a like you know 60 degree angle on this riding mower like leaning out to the left and like trying to hang on for dear life and not tip it over and still mow and i just some of these trees that i'm riding through with very low branches are conifers and i'm just getting killed out there and uh so you 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 realize the mower will shut off if you fall off right oh that's that's great it's still extremely heavy and will still crush me I mean, it'll it'll sure. leave a less uh, lacerated corpse for my friends and family to look at. So that's great. Uh, anyway, uh, so I was doing that until about 9 p.m. So even though I was flipping exhausted because I just I got off comm center and then I 
was up for a little bit, then went to bed and worked all day, came home after hauling shit, and then I continued to just work. Um, I'm in this weird mode where I can't, I've been so busy moving and trying to accomplish stuff that uh, I, I can't sit idle for any amount of time. Like this morning, like I got up and I had time. I'm like, well, I'm just going to have a protein Jake for breakfast because I don't have time for this shit. And then I'm like, it's still 40 minutes till I hook up with Jake. Like I can have a flipping Jimmy Dean's breakfast sandwich. So then I sat there and ate it. I microwaved <laughs> it for 60 seconds. You know, I'm still having a fast breakfast. And then I'm like, well, now what do I do? I'll put my laundry away and I'll do this. And it's like Tansy wants me to call him. I presume I'm in trouble about something. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I don't, I don't have time. I got to do laundry. And you know, after this, I've got family coming over to check out the house for the first time. So it's like, you know, just even putting all the weird sex technology out of sight is, you know, hauling more boxes. And <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's so much work. Um, but I'm not complaining because I'm like, I'm the one that decided to move. But the point is, is like, I'm at the point now where I'm so used to being busy from all of my waking hours that I am not able to relax. I could, I could use like some experimental, like bizarre treatments <laughs> to help me relax. Um, if only there was a, if only that was a subject of discussion between us, uh, that would be, that would be interesting. But, but, uh, what have you been up to? Like, have you been fighting some cool crimes? You've been dogpiling anybody? You've been, uh. You do. Have you been doing any? I sent you that PDF with those uh, those acts of roguery that you could do um, in a fight, like uh, the wet willy and, uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. Have you been Have you been implementing any of those things into your use of force? Uh, yeah, full Nelsons and uh, Indian burns. I know that's oh, probably not the yeah. the culturally uh, the appropriate term this day. On that now, I have I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not nearly PC enough. Is it Native American burns? <laughs> Could be, or uh, something else. That's that was an article they were referred to as something else that caused quite a stir in the in the community here. Uh, um, where, said, where I live, the Native Americans are commonly referred to as prairie n words, <laughs> which no, right? I guess I don't have a problem saying that word, but some listeners might. Um, I mean, it's not that I don't have a problem saying it. It's like I I have a problem calling anyone that word but i i don't have a problem just saying it in conversation because i'm an adult but is that what they call them there like is that pretty openly said or um yeah there's a lot of um different slurs because they're such a large part of the population here um but it was before moving here it was interesting because i only ever knew one native american person like most of them stuck to um you know back in the northeast they were more in their own communities and stuff. You didn't see them like in the major cities as much. So, which, which um, tribes are in Western New York? Is it the Algonquin or the Iroquois or who's up there? Seneca Iroquois. Okay. Yeah, they've kind of kind of merged their interests, I believe, um, in that area. They were style team up against the white man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, to sell cigarettes and duty free <laughs> gas. <laughs> Well, no, they that, got us. That, that's something I want to see. I used to have a friend uh, who used to work with me. Uh, he he actually used to travel across state lines to buy cigarettes from the natives, and he would mm. buy them. Obviously, he would like fill up his truck with cartons, and he would haul them back. And I'm just like, let me get this straight. You were driving out of the state, and you were right. buying a fuck ton of cigarettes, which you you know one could argue is not even really a staple, like flour, for example. 
And you're still coming out ahead? Like, explain the financials of this, how, like, driving to another state to buy cigarettes is, is worth it to you. And it, and it, but it was to him, so I guess I'm not surprised to, to hear that. He's lucky the ATF weren't uh, as bloated at that point. Uh, interestingly enough, the person I'm talking about was someone who worked with me, and uh, at one point we took a, a, a tip from uh, someone in the community that uh, – you know, such and such person, you know, basically they were snitching. They're like, uh, he's a drug dealer and I'm looking at him right now and he's got like uh, bricks of marijuana. And this is back when marijuana was still illegal in this state. So it's like a typical Miami Vice situation where uh, we've got to send, uh, you know, uh, Ricardo Tubbs to go get these things. And um, <laughs> but uh, so my coworker took the tip and he's the one that sent the police. Well, the uh, the drug dealer was like uh, his cousin. <laughs> so. Uh, he like texted his cousin like, "Hey, have a bonfire, why don't you?" You know, even though it's like at 10 a.m. on a Saturday, and it's like <laughs> message received. So the cops get there and everything's uh, everyone's you know completely high from the contact high and the marijuana is all burning up or whatever. And I guess it didn't, right. Didn't take much uh, investigation to figure out you know who's related to whom because there's not a lot of people around here. And he ended up uh, he ended up getting fired. They ended up uh, I think he pled to a misdemeanor rather than a felony, which. Whatever. Anyway, it was a huge black eye. I don't think it was a black eye for the agency. None of the cops I talked to care. They're just like, yeah, whatever. Shit happens. And that, but I'm just like, yeah. Except you know, um, he worked with me, and I feel like you know, I want the cops to trust us. I don't want you to think that like we're like, you know, aiding, on the take, aiding whatever. and abetting the criminal element. You know, to me, you know, I I, I was always a I was never a dirty cop when i was a correctional officer and you know you don't like the guilt by association i'm someone who thinks about these things too much though um what right. are some of the other fun slurs that are in your area that we just <laughs> dodged past say them out loud uh, you have anonymity you can the, say whatever you want you realize that right jake i know i know the the one that uh the one that i heard back in new york and i did hear again uh they called them blanket ass and that really got this one man very very upset he was <laughs> almost got into a fight over uh over that particular slur I've i i'm even, not I've never even heard that one well i'm i'm glad to be broadening your horizons you here you broaden them in bad ways all the time you're actually my mother advised <laughs> against me hanging out with you i don't like you hanging out with that jake whenever you come home you're slightly worse mom i'm almost 40 like <laughs> i'm First of all, there's no, there's not much room for improvement at this point. Like, it, I'm as good as I'm gonna get. Right. Second of all, it's what like the fuck are you doing in my house, mom? Don't you talk to me that way. I'll talk to you right. if I want, mom. And even without uh, really continuing to go down that path. Um, I'd tell you to send her to her room, but then she's all right home. So that's yes. kind of oh, counterintuitive. Oh, I'm not sure I understood you, but I feel like I'm supposed to be offended, right? <laughs> You, possibly, you, possibly. Where it's gotten to with you is that you're so uh, uh, downbeat and quick-witted. I don't know what the hell's going on. I just sometimes <laughs> I can tell from the cadence that like, oh, I've been slighted, and I should laugh now. Well, that's, and then later that's... when I when I re when I do the editing, I do it at like point six speed, you know, which is about so that you're talking at the rate that I can think. Uh, <laughs> if, if finally they like sync up, and I'm, like, yeah, he's having sex with my mom. <laughs> or whatever it is you might have just implied that I won't know about it till later. So well, they they don't call me motherfucker for no reason. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind it if it's just literally true. 
I don't like it if it's a pejorative, you know, if it's like, you know, it's like calling someone a baseball player. That's just their pastime, you know, whatever. Could be their profession, depending on, on you know, whether or not my mom's a good tipper. Um. Right. And it was interesting this weekend. I don't I don't often uh, go do things by myself. I mean, I find maybe one, every other week or so I find something to do. But I actually went to go see uh, the movie that everybody's talking about lately hold on a second because which movie is that for me it's mission impossible no oh. the con- the controversial one of course because that's, oh, that's how i roll across the universe they say that some sequels you know they just serve to kind of really take your money and kind of keep you going for a third one i haven't right. seen it yet and you know i don't know if the plot is you know satisfying or conclusive like the first one was i can only assume that you're not talking about the spider-man movie Right. No, I wasn't. I, I did. I went to go see uh, The Sound of Freedom. And the only reason that I mention it is it was a really good film. Um, difficult to watch, but also um, it was interesting. Was it a difficult One, to look at picture? No, it was not. It was not difficult to look at. Sorry. I, I know. I know you You just like tried to slow pitch that one to me. Another baseball reference. Um but uh i can't wait to review this later to find out what the hell you're talking about go on <laughs> well i was very i was kind of concerned that it might be um like might be more graphic than it was i mean it's very um upsetting and stuff of course to watch the subject matter but um there wasn't anything shown depicted it was more your mind filling in the blanks that was um that kind of made it difficult but what was interesting in my case is I actually sat down in the theater for a, a late, late show and uh, somebody that I know for my career um, actually went to scoot past me and he like looked at me and I looked at him. We recognized each other and he kind of nodded at me and then moved by. Um, and I was thinking back to my experiences with him. I actually, um, filed a report because we're automatic reporters on him being uh, sold for drugs by a family member. Oh man! And uh, he didn't make it through the entire film. Oh wow! Uh, but it was kind of interesting just just to interact. I've seen I see people, and sometimes you just get the nod, which is fine. Um, but yeah, he he ended up going to uh, treatment. And then um, getting into independent living, so he wasn't in that situation anymore. And during our conversation, I found out he had um, another family member still in the home. Um, so he was removed and basically did the same thing. So whenever made it a little more heavy. Whenever I see somebody in the community, they usually take out like a like a. A, a, like a someone like a, a frogman, someone who wears like a skin suit to go diving, they take out a, that their knife from a sheath in their ankle and they put it between their teeth, and they hold out their hands and they kind of circle me and I'm like, man, like I am at the party festivity store. What the fuck is going on? So, so they're like a prairie pirate, like with a knife between their teeth or something. We just made up another slur. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, except, you know, these are usually the white guys. So, I mean, whatever. I think, I think white guys, I, I don't know about you, but I, like, I would prefer some cooler slurs. Like, um, someone at my, uh, part-time job yesterday was talking about how you can't call Native Americans Indians. Cause that's like, that's offensive, which 
uh, you know, he was uh, he was having uh, telling someone about an argument he had about. It. I'm like, well, you know, I guess uh, where I grew up and the time I grew up in, you know, like it all just kind of goes back to the fallacy that you know Columbus thought these were the West Indies and they were thus Indian. So it's like it's just a mistake. Um, but or the East Indies, I guess, is what he thought they were. Uh, but I don't think there's anything really wrong with Indian. And uh, growing up, I would always sit Indian style, and I would tell that to my sister. And my sister kind of lives down in your neck of the woods. She goes, "You mean crisscross applesauce?" I'm like, "Let me get this straight. We had to make up like a new like uh, quick little rhyming poem to get it, help us get away from our racist past." Like I'm, I sit Indian style, sis. Like, whatever i mean i you know you're the one who's assuming that it's you know uh native american style maybe i literally am sitting in the style of like you know those who are in the the hindu kush you know for all you know mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe you're not cultured so you, whatever they accuse you of you just throw it back at them and then make it doubly worse like you know you you're not sensitive to to those people you know that's usually what i do is i, I try to find a way to to gaslight people into making them believe that I'm actually way more offended than they are at whatever the situation is. Like you put, put people on the defensive. Basically what I do is like what, what black lives matter does where it's like, if you don't agree with us, you're racist. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I, it's so, it's so surprisingly effective. I do it as a joke. They do it to make millions of dollars and, and yet it's the same technique. So. Right. As we're going to our day jobs, applying, applying the clown makeup. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I had a phrase back when I was working in, in the back um, more often, basically, and the gist of it was, it was kind of like the, um, you know, I know that you think that you thought what I said, but actually what you think you thought is actually not what I meant. It was something like that, but it had to do with, uh, similar to that, but it had to do with race. And I'll get it wrong, but it was basically like, I'm offended by your taking of offense. Like your offendedness offends me. And therefore, you know, you need to kneel or whatever if you, if you're, you know, if you're so woke and people were kind of looking at me like, what the hell is he talking about? But it was fun just to kind of put people's minds in knots. It didn't mean I had to necessarily win the argument, but it would distract them long enough to accomplish something else yeah it's about creating confusion it's about uh you know creating just sort of a a gray area where they're just not sure what's happening Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where i do my best work uh i'm not not surprised that you and i both do that did you ever uh did you ever like talk someone in circles at the state pen like uh or not or not well i was at the state pen at your job where um you know, it's not necessarily a tense situation, but, you know, someone's trying to get something from you and uh, it's easy to just say, say no. And then like at that point you have a confrontation, but instead like you just like uh, a lot of times what I would like to do is, um, you know, particularly if it was someone that I didn't really have to worry about um, like any kind of danger way, but they're just sort of more uh, annoying or obnoxious or rude. Like I would uh, sometimes I would just pretend to be too stupid you know, to understand what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> Has that anything that you've ever, have you ever tried to do that before? Am I, um, am I the I, only one that plays such like unprofessional games? Cause to me, Oh no, no, I was a big fan of, of, of the mind fuck sometimes, especially with people that were very manipulative. Um, what I ended up doing, we had one individual that was always playing the game. He'd be trying to look for attention. So, of course, he would be suicidal, but he's not really suicidal. He's just getting down on himself for 
attention, especially female attention, if he can get it. Yeah. He'll settle for mine, but he wants... And, and the uh, administrator at the time, not our current, um, was like, well, you need to take these seriously. And he had just gotten taken out of the gown, you know, the turtle suit, whatever you want to call it. And um, this officer was like, just about ready to like, he was a smoker and was like stressed out. He was like ready to chain smoke in the unit. Like he was really on the ragged edge and I'd worked with this person all day and now I was on overtime. So I'm like floating around the different um, areas of the facility. So I walked in there and I could see he was stressed. He's like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's like thinking about quitting. He was just like, completely stressed out as the administrator like to keep people on their toes so i just walked up to him and he's like oh hey man like starting to th-. and before he could finish his sentence i won't use his name but i just said hey like have you ever thought that if a draft drinks coffee like by the time it gets to its stomach it's probably cold i'm like no because you only think about yourself don't you <laughs> and he just looked at me and he's like what the fuck? And he went to his cell and just shut the door. I, and you know, I, and I, the officer's like, what the hell was that? And I'm like, I don't know, just fucking trying something. I like, love it. Um, I know that I have done similar things. They weren't, they weren't as funny <laughs> as yours. I'm sorry to say that they're lost to the fog of time, but like, I can remember occasions where like, I had injected some sort of humor into it and just confused them and like the the detractors will say we well, are intellectually bullying bullying them you know because they don't mm. they can't understand you know how to have this conversation and the the power dynamic is such that you're essentially bullying them i say whatever right. works you know <laughs> if i don't get punched in the face and they just comply with the rules and, right and you know i'm not causing them any damage i guess i don't see what the harm is i i loved unconventional tactics like that mm-hmm. um I guess the only thing I, I could think of is, uh, and this wasn't even necessarily to accomplish anything, but we had an inmate who was uh, just obnoxious. He wasn't terrible or anything, but he would always complain about how hard he had to work because he, he was the one of the bakers in the kitchen, right? So he's got to get let out at 3 a.m. and he has to go down and make bread, I guess, um, which, you know, what, 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 time time, what, what time whatever does, it is. Yes. But what time, what does it, how does it matter what time you wake up when you're in prison? Right. Like, I mean, I guess, like, the only thing that would suck is that you have a standing count at, you know, um, 8 p.m., which for you, I guess, is kind of late at night if you need to be up at 3, but, I mean, whatever. Uh, I, I, don't, I just don't get how the timing matters. It's not like you, you know, what is the difference between a 9-to-5 job and a, you know, 3-to- noon job or whatever it is he had, so mm-hmm. whatever. But he would always come down and complain. He goes, I have to do, I, I have to wake up at, you know, I you guys don't get it. I have to wake up at three in the morning. And I would say, uh, I have to wake up at two in the morning because this is not the only job I have. And then he was like, yeah, but you don't have to be in a room. That's like, you know, 150 degrees and all this. I'm like, no, I actually have to go. I work down at the pottery and I have to be in a room with a kiln. That's like 250 degrees. So, you know, and whatever it is, he would say, (laughs) I would just contrive some like situation in which wherever, whatever I was doing was slightly worse. Um, mm. and, uh, it got to be pretty preposterous. And I don't know if you remember the story I told with Corey with that one corporal that couldn't think or help her do things. Mm. Uh, but he was there in that situation and, 
and he was like, oh, is all that really true? You, you really are that busy? I'm like, no, man, like, what's wrong with you? And then, and he goes, well, I mean, I just, I understand being busy. I'm in the national guard. And he, and then all of a sudden he launches into this huge complaint fest about how he, how busy he is. I'm like, listen, man, like, and then I just started doing it to him and he didn't fucking realize it. I'm like, I told him like, okay, I get that. Like you have to work like every other weekend or whatever. Like, but I, and this is when I was an officer. I'm like, I'm an officer here full time. I'm a lieutenant at the state penitentiary. And I named this neighboring state, which is, it's like eight hours away to drive. And I said, I, after I leave here, I have to drive there. I have to work the overnight shift as a lieutenant and then come back. And, and so I'm like, so if you count working eight hours here, driving eight hours there, working eight hours there and driving eight hours back, like I've got a 26 hour day in, you know, but he didn't realize that like at no point have I slept at all. So it's like physically right. impossible. It's not to mention that there's not 26 hours in a day. And he's just, wow, that's amazing. I'm just like, you man, you're an idiot. Like I'm upset that you're, you're the one who's defending this country against floods or whatever it is that the National Guard does. <laughs> he just, he was not smart at all. And he had this, he had this vacant look on his face. Like he was like, he was a nice person, I guess, but he was probably like one of the most punchable people because there, he was so vacuous. There was nothing going on inside of him. And he had this like dipshit mustache in an age where mustaches were not cool and they weren't like ironically cool. You know, this is a long time before Top Gun Maverick. So it, I just, I always think back to that guy and I just wonder how the hell anyone ever made him a corporal. Again, government is all about longevity. It's never about merit. So he was like one of the few people who didn't deserve to be corporal, which corporals are, <laughs> they're not a big deal uh, in, in my facility. They're just, you know, they have slightly more responsibility and then more power. And it's just, I don't know why I made it. Um, I've been trying to pull up this article that you sent me. I read it a little bit ago and then they say that they're having an internal server error. Is that, Right. Are you yeah, I, I can't pull it up either. Well, fuck. <laughs> uh, I was I was hoping you had it saved on your laptop or something uh, because well, I tried to pull it up like on my history, but like, uh, f and you'll have to explain this to me because you're smarter than I am. But like, um, so when I click on it on my uh, my my messenger, my text message. It opens it up in a browser that's discrete somehow from Chrome. I don't know if it's the Samsung uh, internet, but like it doesn't have the same, like I'm digging pretty deep for me in terms of what I'm able to do. But like it doesn't have, it's saved in the history, which I get that it would have to save it as a temporary file or something, but do you, well, just, wanna, do you just want to try to discuss it based off of our memory of it? Because, like, I feel bad because I, I, I was reading it in detail. And then as I perceived, you know, that I was spending too much time doing this, uh, sitting down, and I felt lazy, I'm like, well, I better just kind of skim the rest. And so I I read it a pretty good amount, but, I mean, I probably didn't read it as much detail as you do. You just want to – why don't you tell me what you remember of this of this long since expired article? And uh, I'll I'll have, I'll recount my memories, and then we'll uh, we'll discuss. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it was actually sent in to me by uh, someone who's who's uh, figured out my true identity. I, apparently, I forgot to put my glasses on or take them off at some point. Um, so my identity was revealed. But uh, she sent this in, and it was actually on police one. Um, which is interesting because every time I hit the link, it gets sends me to EMS one, corrections one, something right. different. Yeah. Um, but it was about um, recidivism was the topic, 
and trying to get ahead of that. And it cited a specific facility and a program. I believe it was like S-T-A-R-R. Right. Backing up, though, they were talking about how... uh the, the primary need of the criminal justice system is to stop crime and, pr- and protect public safety. And they said, you know, one of the biggest problems with performing that function is recidivism. They said that they had a, uh, I remember thinking that this was a, uh, a slightly more robust scientific effort than the last Corrections One article that we read. It was something mm-hmm. like 40,000 people uh, were, uh, their cases were reviewed or something. And they said, um, you know, those people who were in prison uh, that, Within three years, you know, something like a third of them have reoffended. You know, within six years, uh, more than more than half had, and then after nine years, something like eighty-three percent had reoffended. So it's like a huge amount of forty thousand people. If you if you take that times eighty-three percent, you're still talking many many, you know, like you know thirty-five thousand people who have reoffended, uh, and like that's obviously a huge number. Now, I don't generally like articles that only present one set of statistics. I like I like an article that says, on the other hand, you know, like the Florida study will say that, you know, the numbers aren't quite that bad. And then and then like when you try to compare the studies, like that's where the good conversation comes from. But I'll just go ahead and concede that like recidivism is a problem. They said that the main reason for that is drugs and, you know, that uh, a, a lot of people who are in prison have drug problems. Now, my first thought on that was like, well, you know, so we recognize that drugs are a huge problem amongst the population that's incarcerated so obviously the solution is to make drugs legal like that's literally the thought process you know in some places like well a lot of these crimes that these guys are going on we can reduce recidivism by making the things that they're doing not illegal right like they're going out there and you know let's just say they're they're, you know they're kind of in possession of a controlled substance or something you know i know that some states like um the wind probably blew it into their purse or something well yes whatever but oregon or washington or whatever you know possession of a controlled substance in schedule one or two you know it's not even Mm -hmm. even a problem there anymore um and so you're reducing recidivism by uh getting rid of the crime that's like saying uh, i'll I'll get rid of this disease by killing the patient the patient won't be ill anymore but um going past the jokes on this, it's like, you know, people will commit a lot of crimes pursuant to fulfilling their drug addictions, whether they're stealing catalytic converters for cash or copper out of houses so they can get money for drugs. It seems like a lot of, particularly a lot of theft, burglaries, even robberies, uh, you know, are, are done in pursuit of that. So I, I feel like uh, making drugs more, more available, um, it doesn't, it's not necessarily going to reduce the amount of crimes that are perpetrated to to pursue those if you have drugs and let's say they're on the open market let's say you can go down and buy a blister pack of cocaine from walmart and it's taxed and all this stuff that uh, you know even conservatives applaud well at least it's not on the black market anymore now we now we can tax it and we you know i've even heard people say well we should legalize drugs and we should make them you know make the taxes 50 percent i'm like oh yeah okay well you know they're they're already you know first of all like insanely expensive i would imagine and uh people are already already like uh, throwing their families overboard to go after these drugs. So uh, you could say like, let's make them heavily taxed and say society will benefit from that. But uh, we already have uh, huge taxes anyway. And uh, people are throwing their families overboard, which is the real bedrock of our society to pursue these drugs. And so I don't see that as working out. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of getting bogged down in, in the minutia of the background of, this, of the tale. They, want, they wanted to talk about how um, in Colorado, in all 
64 counties or whatever, it's basically legally mandated that there has to be some sort of uh, counseling. So they have local facilities, have they take advantage of local uh, mental health care clinicians, um, and then they come into the facilities. And there's the sheriff. I wish I could remember her name or the county she's in, but uh, basically she's like, this isn't enough. So she lobbied the state to get more funding for um, additional resources. And uh, she talked about, the article talks about how, like, on her staff, she's got people that are, like, uh, very high um, qualified clinicians. And they're also, like, in one case, like, one of them was also a sworn lieutenant. And I'm just like, I don't know how you get someone to go to school for and pay all the money to become a mental health professional and then, you know, put them in a government job. Like, uh, you know, it's like like the ultimate... uh, socialist model where like you have someone in your society who's a doctor but they get paid as much as someone who um you know bottles water you know it just doesn't make sense you know like there's there's a huge difference in the amount that you have to invest in yourself and if there's if you're not being paid more there's no incentive so i don't i don't know how you get a government employee who's a sworn lieutenant and also like a doctor i don't get how you get those things together but um finally coming to the crux of it they talked about these two treatments uh, and I texted you just a little bit ago. Did you uh, did you want to jump in there with any thoughts or talk about the the first of those two treatments, the one that I that I thought was baloney? I mean, I'm not I'm not going to argue that it is baloney, but I mean, it just kind of surprised me because I'd never heard of it before. Right. Well, I mean, kind of addressing the first part of that too is um, that you were talking about, like trying to intervene, you know, and that's like our main myth. Like that's literally um, the mission statement of the facility that I work at is to intervene, you know, when they're younger to try to prevent them from becoming the next generation of, you know, adult offenders. Right. And the, the, where the laws in the state where I'm at now, most things are becoming legal, um, drug wise. And it's just, it's brought up our crime rates that were already high to catastrophically high levels because people are just continuing to offend. I mean, we'll talk at the end more about, um, possible solutions and stuff, but like everybody, literally everybody that's under the age of 18 in the state goes to treatment, some form of treatment, outpatient, inpatient or secure, you know, they're, where they're in prison basically, but going through like daily and weekly treatment cycles and stuff. And our recidivism rate is still really high. So spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, the one that you thankfully you texted me because I don't I couldn't remember the um, what it was actually called, but the AccuDetox was the was the one method that was discussed in the in the article because of the low cost and how easy it is to train people and apparently less, um, less than a dollar per procedure, which um, you know I think they're talking about raw materials there. If you're talking about um, including all the costs of training people and you're including the cost of uh, the person's time that works there. And uh, I think it, there's no way that it comes out to a simple dollar. I mean, I get that like equipment wise, it's very simple, but mm-hmm. what, the, what the procedure is, and I guess I uh, would encourage anyone out there who's listening to, if anyone, uh, to look it up. It's uh, AccuDetox. Or what it is is essentially on the outer ear. And first, when I read this article, it says inserting needle into ear is the solution. The <laughs> I thought like the big uh, darning needles, you know, like the one grandma used. And I'm like, you just insert that all the way to the brain. 
And then I'm like, let me get this straight. Like just lobotomy. a lobotomy from yeah. a different angle. Yeah. yeah I'm just like, uh, <laughs> you're just you're doing lobotomies wrong <laughs> and yourself. Cause I thought it was like, you just jammed it in there. I'm like lobotomizing yourself wrong. will solve all your problems. So I, I was way off, but there's five points on the outer ear, like where people would do piercings, I guess. And some places where maybe they wouldn't, I don't know. I'm not really into that. But uh, I guess using uh, small needles, they uh, perform punctures on the ear. And it talks about, and this is where I started skimming, but it's just like that, you know, I'm, and I'm not even into to acupuncture really at all. But I guess, it, you know, they say if it, the treatment's applied in this place on the outer ear and this place on the outer ear, and we're talking about like lobes and then the interior folds of the of the ear. That they, you know, this act activates a response in the sympathetic nervous system, and this uh, activates a response with some other part of your, your, uh, your, your, your body or your neurochemical makeup or whatever. That it ultimately creates a, re a release of uh, chemicals or a response from you that it changes. And one person described this as providing instant relief to their anxiety. Now, I have mixed feelings about this because, like. Um, Anytime where someone promises like instant changes, whether it's like, uh, you know, you're, you know, of course you have instant regret about going to Taco Bell, but if you drink Pepto-Bismol, you know, you'll instantly have relief of, about it. I, I'm very skeptical of things that are instantaneous. Well, the, the skepticism was one part where they said, well, this is the huge advantage. So like a lot of inmates can't receive treatment in prison because... Uh, you know, a lot of them are, are too far gone. Like basically they can't control their emotions enough to engage in therapy, but a lot of, a lot of them are distrustful of, of any kind of therapy, like, which is, I think how a lot of men feel. It's how I, I initially feel about a lot of, you know, counseling and, and, and techniques and things like that. Like the idea that like, I'm going to make myself any kind of vulnerable to a, another person about what's going on with me, even to be held accountable. Like it makes me, um, clam up. And so, but what they're saying is this over, overcomes that like, okay, so you don't, you don't have to talk about what's going on with you. We don't have to discuss anything to the point where maybe we could, we could get you medicated and we don't have to deal with any of the side effects of medication or any of the dependency of medication or the cost of medication. And they're like, okay, man, why don't you just sit down and uh, let's just, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And uh, I think it's going to make you feel better. But you know, if it doesn't, then uh, I'm just going to let you go and you just have a good day or whatever. You know, I think you take the pressure off as you put the puncture on. And so you, you, they perform these punctures on the, on the outer ear and somehow it causes, you know, a lot of these results that to the point where what, what they're getting in terms of the relief of their anxiety or whatever it is, they're saying that, that it's, that basically it's better than the use of, of recreational drugs, you know, whatever it is that people are getting from those recreational drugs to relieve anxiety or whatever else that this technique can help them. And of course, if you get somebody calmed down in a prison environment, if you can get to them to the point where they don't feel anxious in prison, uh, particularly someone who's brand new and just receiving treatment, that this is, this is huge. And if it's inexpensive and it's not dangerous and it's not habit forming and it's, you know, not really controversial, um, why not? Like, what did you think about it? Yeah. I mean, I kind of have the, um, kind of the, sounds too good to be true snake oil type of reaction as well. Um, I'm, you know, in the beginning stages of therapy and stuff. And it's like, that's more anxiety inducing than <laughs> like, it seems more painful, you know, than the, than the actual results you get from it, at least to begin with. So it, it is skeptical that without, you know, addressing 
interesting things that you could find that much relief, but I'm, I guess I'm, it's possible. Um, I, I do know I have had experience with like acupressure, things like that, that has given some relief, but I mean, um, deep seated PTSD and trauma and stuff is a lot different than a tummy ache or a headache, you know? So, uh, what's interesting to me is, uh, you know, first of all, I agree with all that. Uh, the only thing I could see that would be possible negative side effects is, okay, so you're in prison, so you get these five punctures in your ear, and they're tiny needles. We're not talking about, like, putting a hole in you. Uh, but, you know, infection's a, a danger. Um, I know that you'd give them an alcohol swab or whatever and just remind them, you know, not to, like, have, you know, someone shit on their face or bleed on them anytime soon. Um, which, you know, is always good advice, but at a prison, it's like really practical advice. The other thing is, is would there be any kind of stigma to that? Like, you know, inmates are actually surprisingly private and embarrassed about some of the things they have to go to. I told a story once, either here or with Abby, about an inmate that didn't want to go into the classroom because the, the, the class was for recovering sex offenders. And they didn't want to be outed as, you know, a child molester or whatever. To the point where he's like loitering and refusing to go in and like I had to finally chase him back to his cell because and he wouldn't go he wouldn't go to what he needed to go to to get to parole because of the shame that he would have to endure in prison and the outing he would have to endure. So, you know, I don't know if you've got inmates walking around and they've got five holes in their ear. They've obviously just received this treatment like it does signal to other inmates like, oh, you know, this guy's, you know, he's a pussy or he's got, you know, he's, you know, crying or something like if they all know what it is. And, you know, saving face and your uh, outward appearance is so important in prison. It's important to inmates. Like, I'm sure you I'm sure you'll agree that, like, you can diffuse tension and confrontation with an inmate if you simply propose a way in which they can follow the rules that allows them to, like, maintain their dignity. You know, Um, whether that's like handing like whether that's resigning from the fight and letting another officer take over. So it's like, well, they beat you man to man, but, you know, they're still going to comply with the rules like or um, just somehow that you change the situation that they can save face. I worry the inmates wouldn't want it because it's it's almost like a mark, like scarlet letter, mark a cane type situation that they've that they're in treatment for something. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't even be visible. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess it probably, yeah, it's very likely it wouldn't be um, readily discernible by others. But, uh, yeah, that definitely happens. I mean, we have people who have visits and stuff and then break down and cry. And it's like, all right, well, let's go step into another secure area for a minute. Collect yourself before we go back to the to the unit because I don't want to him get punked for all this stuff and get break up a fight later. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yep. No, I. That's something that we've never talked about before. But yeah, I've had to do that too. Where basically you give somebody space to emotionally collect themselves before they go back inside in front of other inmates. Go on. Right, and sometimes in the in I call it uh, terrorist negotiations, even though that's just hyperbole slightly. Um, when I'm talking to someone, sometimes, yeah, that's that is a big tactic. Is, tactic is giving them a way to save face. It's like, hey. You know, you can either tell them, well, you know, you can do it the easy way or the United Airlines way. Like it doesn't like you're you're going to comply one way or the other. This way, at least you can make it look like it's your idea. You know, like like, oh, you you get you got to scream and shout and break the rules, but you're just 
now you're just going to go secure yourself. You know what I mean? Or you're going to come out willingly, go to another unit, fuck this place, you know, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, the stigma and stuff and another that could be associated with it, but maybe this would be a good way. I mean, just to be a devil's advocate, maybe it would be a good way to not quite have that as much you know it's not like oh you went to you we know you're going down to the therapist's office you know people go to different areas for different reasons so doing this might be a little bit more discreet maybe um but also uh, all the numbers they have from the study which i know it takes time to collect but it's from uh 2018 i believe if memory serves so that's several years ago and the crime rates and stuff have changed quite a bit so they did have a lot of success with this program supposedly in this time frame but um you know as time marches on throughout a career things change quite a bit so it makes me kind of skeptical that with a much 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 larger scale that you have now of crimes being committed and people i think almost nationwide spending less and less and less time in jail or prison for those crimes um it might it might have a prop you know cause issues with the effectiveness but i'm not sure i i don't really don't really know they they claim that uh using that technique in the next one that we're going to discuss had radically reduced the amount of violent crime i think within the facility i don't think they made claims in the community because once people are leaving prison ironically they're not getting the treatment that helps them anymore um they they said that it, you know that it was somewhat effective and all, all i could say to that is like well that's the point of the article like if this was a, a journal, uh, a scientific review, we would actually be seeing point and counterpoint, hopefully. You know, mm-hmm. we'd be saying, well, you know, right. that's um, that's the, the independent variable facility. That's the X factor facility. If you look at Y facility that's of comparable size, comparable cultural makeup, you know, that doesn't have this. This is where the, their rates of violent crime have been over the same period of time, you know, so that you could actually gather a delta between. Uh, what's the rate of violent crime in your experimental group, your group that's doing this acupuncture uh, therapy in the ear and the, and just a te- just a control group where, um, you know, this is what it would be like without. I think right now, like a huge problem in science is that we're not doing what we were taught in ninth grade or whenever you were taught the, sci- the scientific method. Is that you can't question the science, you can't John. Question the science. Well, your peer review is not a thing. No. Well, I, <laughs> let's get more basic than that. Like, I don't even want to get to statistics, but it's like you you can't just you can't just take a situation and, and uh, you know have an independent variable, have something that you're testing, and then at the end of that, just say, well, this is what it did, and this is what that does. This is what this is what uh, this uh, acupressure or acupuncture does. You have to compare it to something, right? So like when I get mm. mad about people who say there's global warming, I'm like, okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, you know, and there's so many arguments about for and against global warming. And I'm like, this is the most scientifically rigorous, like dispassionate one I can make. Number one, what is the Earth's average temperature right now? And a lot of people aren't even really able to give you that because like it varies so much. And like, you know, the Earth has you know, right now in Antarctica, it's whatever it is, and here it is. And so your, your average temperatures, if you're moving it even by a tenth of a, of a degree, you're talking about major differences over the entire Earth. Okay, so whatever it is, let's say, you're, you know, your average temperature is X. Let's just say that we actually have that number. So I say to him, like, so to establish the, the effects of, of, of man on the climate, 
What would the average temperature of Earth be had the Industrial Revolution never taken place? What it was the, What's the temperature of Earth supposed to be? Like, what is the average temperature of Earth without the internal combustion engine, without CO2, carbon emissions of, of all these other kinds, without methane being released, without fracking? The without, cows. Right, mm. without the cows, with, without everything. So what is aver the Earth's average temperature supposed to be? And tell me the delta. Okay, so tell me the difference between the two. And, like, let's establish a threshold for what constitutes a statistically significant number. And so that's how you would do that, right? You say, what is it? What is it supposed to be? And what's the difference? And is the difference statistically significant? Well, we don't have those numbers. We can't say what Earth's you know, temperature is supposed to be without... Uh, the effects of man because we don't we don't have an, we don't have a control group earth to look at and uh, we can't just you know we don't we can't take a look at those two numbers so we can't we don't can't know the difference so now we already don't know that and then suppose that they're supposing that there even is a difference finding out if it's statistically different or you know now we're talking about like what you know what's the difference between us and alternate dimension earth in which there's no man you know, you're so far out there now away from like actual science and actual data that we can't fucking know anything. OK, so if we look at this article, like going back to corrections, and that's what we're actually talking about. I want to see an article that says like at this at this other jail, you know, possibly also within Colorado, because because we're starting from the same place with both facilities. Right. With this, you know, legally mandated counseling. What does it look like at this other county where this this stuff is not not going into effect? This, uh, you know. Ac acupuncture and it, we did it didn't put that in the article so that drives me nuts one thing that drives me nuts about all, all media and all all essays or articles that claim to inform is that they they're not scientifically rigorous with explaining uh why what is they're promoting is true and i think most people just miss that because they're not it's the, you, you can't disprove the negative they're not they're not noticing what's missing from the article and that's something that always drives me nuts shifting gears to the other half of the article and this is what kind of made me hopeful about um, the, the acupuncture technique is they talked about emdr now why do i like emdr totally unscientific reasons you're <laughs> 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 pretty much uh, flying in the face of everything i just spent you know preaching about for the last five minutes like a true you know 18th century preacher i like emdr because i have i know people that swear by it um not scientific and uh i just shot myself in the foot but it's like i know people who are suffering with terrible things and uh there's no easy answers for them i know there's counseling uh there's divine intervention there's prayer uh there's you know helping them as a friend being there for them listening to them counseling them uh, letting them work through things taking time all this more traditional tactics but one friend in particular of mine went through this really really awful uh divorce and breakup and uh i won't even go into the details because i don't even know what they are i just know that it was like your your maybe like your textbook bad divorce you know um and it really messed her up it really hurt her and it, she's still hurting but she said one thing that really helped her was emdr eye movement desensitization and reprocessing now what i've done to help us out jake is that uh well i was discussing the earth and it's you know temperatures i pulled up this article about emdr so i'll just basically explain what that is because like putting holes in your ears is easy to explain but emdr is a little bit harder to understand so this is from the cleveland clinic overview what is emdr eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy is a mental health treatment technique this method involves moving your eyes in a specific way while you process traumatic memories 
EMDR's goal is to help you heal from trauma or other distressing life experiences. Compared to other therapy models, EMDR is relatively new. The first clinical trial investigating EMDR was in 1989. Dozens of clinical trials since EMDR development show the technique is ineffective and it can help a person faster than other methods. Now here we are, just like with the pressure, we're looking for fast, effective, and cheap methods. This is about moving your eyes. Like that can't possibly be, ex again, comparing it to drugs and, and, and therapy and all this, like it's faster and cheaper. So, so who needs to have EMDR therapy? EMDR can help people with a wide range of mental health conditions. Adolescents, teenagers, adults, and all ages can benefit from it. Some healthcare providers also specialize in EMDR. Uh, why is this treatment used? Uh, EMDR therapy doesn't require talking in detail about a distressing issue, so that would appeal to someone like you and me. EMDR instead focuses on changing the emotions, thoughts, and behaviors that result from a distressing experience or trauma. That's how they define trauma is a distressing experience. So uh, trauma has this huge stigma, I think, in our circles, like because of like if I came to you and said, like, Jake, I got to be honest with you, I was pretty traumatized by that. Like maybe I'm just telling you, like, you know, I was distressed about seeing a man disemboweled before me. And you're just being like, man, would you nut up like this is this is prison. <laughs> Stop being traumatized. Like, will you get a hold of yourself? Like, you don't belong here if you're getting traumatized by this. But I think we have to, like, change like the meaning of the word trauma because like for me like we i always think of trauma as like well you just got fucked up in a car accident like you you know i'm talking about like traumatic injuries but this allows right. your brain to resume a natural healing process well many people use the words mind and brain when referring to the same thing these are different your brain's an organ of your body okay so like this is a neurological thing your brain is an, an organ but your mind is a collection of thoughts memories and beliefs and experiences that make you who you are that's your psychology the way your mind works relies on the structure of your brain. The structure involves networks of communicating brain cells across many different areas. It's especially the case when these sections that involve your memories and senses. The networking makes it faster and easier for those areas to work together. That's why your senses, sight, sound, smells, tastes, and feeling, feelings can bring back memories. I'm sure you've smelled something before and you've instantly remembered something. That's I, they, For some reason, they always say scent is the one tied strongest to memory. I'll kind of wrap this up. I just, I do want to explain EMDR. It relies on adaptive information processing, a theory that allows your brain uh, to store memories. And uh, this theory developed by Francine Shapiro, PhD also, who also developed EMDR, recognized that your brain stores normal and traumatic memories differently. So during normal events, your brain stores memories smoothly. It also networks them so that you can remember other things with them. During disturbing or upsetting events, that networking doesn't happen correctly. The brain can go offline. There's a disconnect between your experiences, what you feel, you hear, what you see. And what your brain stores in memory through language. Often your brain stores trauma memories in a way that doesn't allow for healthy healing, which is terribly convenient. Th brain, brain, thank you for that. <laughs> trauma is like a wound that your brain hasn't been allowed to heal. Because it didn't have the chance to heal, your brain didn't receive the message that the danger is over. Okay. Newer experiences can link up to earlier trauma experiences and reinforce a negative experience all over again. This disrupts and links between senses and memories. It also acts as an injury to your mind. Just like your body, sensitive to pain from an injury, your mind has a slightly higher sensitivity to the things you saw, things you heard, smelled, or felt during a trauma-related event. This happens not only with events you can remember, but also suppressed memories, much like how you learn not to touch a hot stove because it burns your hand. Your mind tries to suppress memories to avoid accessing them because they're painful or upsetting. 
However, the suppression isn't perfect, meaning the injury can still cause negative symptoms, emotions, and behaviors. So you get triggered. Sights, sounds, and smells, a connection with or, or similarity to trauma events will trigger those improperly stored memories. Unlike other memories, these can cause overwhelming feelings of fear, anxiety, anger, or panic. So like when veterans are hearing fireworks or dogs are hearing fireworks and it's reminding them of the dog wars, you know, that's, mm. that's why they get upset. That's just what happened in the background at my house. Uh, if, if you could hear that in the background. Yes. I, I, there's always like a cat on my show. Like uh, the other day for Cobb <laughs> Center, I'm like, there's a cat at my house. I'm like, you are going into a closet at the other end of the house because I'm not going to hear you walking around talking. This cat just yells. And so we mm. get Daniel on the show. And uh, at one point, Daniel's talking, and it's just, meow, and I'm like, for the love of God, why am, why is everything that I do the cat show? Like, maybe Tansy has it figured out with about without animals, because you never hear animals in the background of a show. Anyway, back to EMDR. An example of this post-traumatic is post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, you have a flashback, where improper storage and networking causes your mind to access those memories in a way that's uncontrolled. Okay, so... Reprocessing and repair is what EMDR does. When you undergo EMDR, you access memories of a trauma, a traumatic event in a specific way. You combine that with eye movements and guided instructions. Accessing those memories helps you reprocess what you remember from the negative event. The reprocessing helps repair the mental injury from that memory. Remembering what happened to you will no longer feel like reliving it, and the related feelings will be much more manageable. So that's amazing that just eye of movement and recalling the memory somehow like turns off your, your danger switch. I know that they, they talk about fight, flight, freeze, you know, as being responses to danger. Okay. So basically what they're saying is that even though the danger is over, your mind stays in some sort of fight, flight, or freeze mode and you go on living. And so those things are already activated inside you all the time and it becomes part of your functioning. So when you're reconfronted with these events, through memory, all of a sudden, you know, that switch goes into overdrive. Now, anyone listening to this who thinks, uh, I don't understand EMDR, please reach out to me. I'll just have you on the show. Um, I am reading this from the Cleveland Clinic, and I'm putting in things that, that I understand about EMDR for my friend who explained it to me. But it could treat anxiety, depression, dissociative disorders, eating disorders, gender dysphoria, obsessive-compulsive disorders, personality disorders, trauma disorders. How common is EMDR therapy? Well... It's very common around the world, but I would say that what I've been told about why EMDR is such a hot commodity and why it's so hard to get EMDR is because it's relatively new. I've had people tell me that, uh, frankly, we just don't have counselors trained in EMDR. It's it's a separate set of, of, of skills that they never received when they went through their initial stuff. Um, mm. The fact that we're just coming around to valuing it now means that all the clinicians we have in the field, or many of them, don't don't have that on their resume. They can't just sit you down and say, "Okay, I'm going to ask you to remember, you know, your father passing away. Will I guide you uh, in your eye my, in your eye movements?" Right? Like they're not ready to go. They've got to go get this training. Mm. Uh, in the United States, the Department of Veterans Affairs and Department of Defense list EMDR as the best practice in treating veterans experiencing PTSD. Now, we have to trust the VA because they definitely know how to treat veterans. And right Obviously. now, right now, uh, I know you as a veteran of many wars and also dead leg, his head spinning around like the exorcist because uh, he's, he's are, almost... are, are you trying to get me for stolen valor again? <laughs> no, that's just a bit with you is that you were definitely oh, okay. for sure. 
you were you were the, for the sure post Iraq personality. No, that was that was a good nugget. Um, <laughs> that was yes. <laughs> that even I, you never I haven't heard. shared that in therapy yet. I'll get to it here you, next week. Please tell them like yeah, like we were talking about <laughs> just me. Like you could say like the guy I do the podcast with. He's, he's never met me in real life, but he says I have a real post Iraq personality. <laughs> uh, charred like I'm on the highway there. Like, was that jarhead? Um, Yes, exactly. That's what I, that's what I look like on the inside. My mo- my mother said I was I didn't have to be a pretty boy. Like I'm I'm good on the inside, but I guess not. My mom never spoke to me. Is EMDR controversial? <laughs> There's some controversy surrounding why EMDR works. The creator of EMDR again, this Dr. Francine Shapiro, later developed a working theory about how your brain stores memories or actively accidentally discovering the eye movement technique she later used to create it. However, the controversy doesn't extend to whether or not EMDR does work. Dozens of controlled trials and research studies have analyzed it, analyzed EMDR to show that it's effective. Um, I mean, again, so kind of going back to the ear puncture thing, if we're, if we're taking someone in a safe setting, we're saying, I want you to recall your traumas, and I'm going to guide the way that you know your eyes are looking around the room to kind of turn off your danger response your threat response or you know your self-preservation response your defensiveness um and it doesn't work what's the harm basically you've taken someone and you know you're asking them to to have memories which i don't think you know is inherently dangerous at all for most folks and um or you're you're putting holes in their ears to relieve their stress i mean uh, i i view both of these models as being significantly less dangerous and expensive compared to pharmaceuticals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right now it's just drugs are the answer for everything. Um, I mean, t- to a ridiculous point, like uh, someone I work with at 911, he's a younger guy, but he goes he goes to a counselor regularly because of the stuff that's gone on in his life. And uh, he was t- just talking about, you know, feeling some anxiety over something. And his, his doctor or his counselor's just like, uh, you ever considered cannabis? And he goes, uh, no. And by the way, he's 20. Like, he's fresh out of high school. And he's he wants to be a police officer. He's a dispatcher now, but being being a cop's all he wants to be. He's actually kind of a nerd about it. He's kind of a cop groupie, but it's endearing when it's him. And uh, and, and he goes, you know, I've, I've never thought of it. And then and the counselor's just like, well, if you change your mind, just let me know. I'll get you signed up. And it's just like, really? Drop of a hat. You're going to just give, you know, marijuana to your client. Now, I'm not discussing whether or not marijuana is safe or effective i'm just saying like why are drugs always the answer if you know uh, we can go to these other therapeutic techniques that don't involve changing our body chemistry at all uh why not do that and not only that but like if you're this is where it's especially germane to you and me and everyone else in public safety whether you're a cop a correctional officer dispatcher whatever there's an ethical problem with you having marijuana in your system. And now they've even gone so far in, in my agency to say, like, look, marijuana is legal. There are under certain circumstances you can have it. Obviously, there's states where you can even use it recreationally. But we're going to say in our policy, like, this is a problem. Like, if you're, if you're you know, engaged in uh, such important things that lawsuits are made of and saving people's lives and running in towards danger and operating a heavy and dangerous special equipment, maybe you ought not have traces of cannabis in your system. Uh, Jake, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree that you'll know that it like can last up to like 45 days or something that it can stay in your system. Mm-hmm. And to anyone that disagrees with me, I, I guess I just pose it to you this way. Uh, suppose you come home and you f- you discover your your loved one, and it's uh, they're still alive, but it was an unwitnessed 
arrest, cardiac arrest of some kind, you're going to call 911. The person who answers that phone, how good do you feel about them having uh, just smoked a joint while they were on their lunch break? How good do you, would you feel if they had, had uh, if they had you know smoked the night before? How good would you feel knowing that there's potentially some residue of um, you know a mind altering substance? You can you now the the people who will deep dive and fight back will say, well, you know, caffeine's a psychotropic drug and it changes your moods and all this and whatever else. At some point, we've got to draw the line between, you know, silliness and what's practical. All I will tell you is that my answer is this. If I'm dialing 911, I don't feel good talking to someone who might be very sleepy. I don't feel good talking to someone who's overworked. I don't feel good talking to someone who uh, their emotional regulation is out because they're, they're stressed out. I want the best person to answer the phone, and that means someone who has not smoked marijuana <laughs> in the last 45 days. Jake, what's your take on, on marijuana as opposed to uh EMDR or this other therapy? Um, well, I mean, commonly you hear a lot of uh, inmates discussing marijuana, particularly and different drugs as, as, well, that's, that's the only thing that helps me with my stress and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not my particular cup of tea, even though uh, my facility has this similar stance where um, it's still against policy, but it's not, um, I, to be, it's. I've been there for almost a decade, and I don't know of maybe a handful of people ever being tested. And it's because they thought they were under the influence on the job. Like it's kind of a lot of people kind of view it as the "don't ask, don't tell" um, is kind of the um, the prevailing attitude towards it. Um, well, with and that, like I said, I do with I, alcohol too. Like you have to have right. reasonable suspicion to um to do that like uh even at even outside this like when i was in the corporate world like if you suspected somebody was under the influence of alcohol while they were on the job Mm -hmm. you had to to be able to say this you had to meet the certain set of criteria and that's all just to even say like okay i'm going to need you to stop what you're doing and i want you to go report to uh you know uh, the facility and go give a ua as a condition of your employment, which is, by the way, if you think they're drunk and then telling them to drive across town to go to give a P test is a wonderful idea. But, um, uh, you know, there's so there's a threshold there. So then, you know, the, the answer to that was like random drug testing. Like I get randomly drug tested for some reason at my part time job. And um, so, so then you kind of have to have that built in. So what kind of drugs do they have you trying out? Um, something <laughs> called Molly and I eat a lot of mushrooms. Um, I always like setting up for an easy joke and I like it. I like it when you take it though, too. Like, uh, you make things light. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean like, but uh, my, my, my job as a 911 dispatcher, like I've never been drug tested even one time outside of just the hiring one. So it's, it's sort of interesting that, you know, there's a don't ask, don't tell policy, but you know, most of the time you kind of have to fuck something up. Like if you have a serious accident and you drive a forklift into a wall, you know, that's going to cause, you know, a, a drug test to be done or something because they have to determine that it's solely your liability, you know, when something. Right. Like well, you're either high or stupid. Is... <laughs> right. And yeah, I mean, even when I was working in trades beforehand, I, I did have a significant injury at one point and most people um, that do trades for a extended period of time you know, they self-medicate in some ways, 
you know, uppers, downers, drinking drugs, you know, just to cope with the toll that it takes on your body. Um, so everybody was basically like, Hey man, you're going to go to the hospital and get stitched up. And it was nice working with you cause they're going to drug test you, you know? And I was like, that's fine. And they were like, <laughs> tried to give me this time frame to make it even more difficult. And I'm like, well, as long as I get discharged by that point, you know, that's fine. Like meet me in the parking lot with a cup. I'll whip it out. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like as long as I don't get arrested for public exposure, like I'll, I'll, piss in a cup you know but um yeah i've never i've never tried marijuana i've only i've never was, I was never cool enough to have this sort of person in my life that would have marijuana offer me marijuana um <laughs> on only one occasion did one guy ever say to me in college like hey man you ever want to relax you just let me know i'm just like i'm relaxed <laughs> <laughs> he ended up getting thrown out like for like barfing in the computer lab like two weeks later so what about all those public service announcements that were gonna that told me I was gonna get, I was gonna get offered marijuana every turn? I I don't know where those people were either. Well, I I, I don't know. I think I think it could have been me to be honest with you. Like uh, the whole just say no thing, or like uh, I don't. Did you ever, did you ever see the commercial where uh, I think it was for drugs? Just because I remember all the best drugs commercials from the eighties. But someone says like, uh, Hey, do you want to try my dad's drugs? And he goes, No. And he goes are you a chicken? And he goes, I'm not a chicken. You're a turkey, you know? And then the, and then the kid's are like, whoa, I shouldn't do drugs, you know? It's like the reverse <laughs> peer pressure thing. Or uh, my absolute favorite, like, I need to work. We, I just need to put this on comp center, like, for when we need a break. But, like, the guy takes the egg, and he goes, this is your brain. And then he fries it, and he goes, this is your brain on drugs. Your brain on drugs, and yeah. And he questions, and it's just, like, the ultimate mic drop when it comes to, to drugs. I'm like, I don't know if that worked for me. Like so many people make fun of uh, the anti-drug stuff in the eighties, but I just, I, I never was never interested in it. And the dare program, like they brought us in some mm. drugs to see it. I'm just like, <laughs> they, so they show me this little dime bag of like black tar heroin or something. And, and I'm just like, why would I want that? That looks gross to me. I don't want to eat that or whatever it is I'm supposed to do with it. Like, you know, I don't even obviously don't understand how to take the drugs. So like to this mm. day, I still don't really get it. Cause I just don't care about drugs at all. But, uh, which maybe makes me not so much an expert to talk about like the reliability or validity of drugs for caring for psychological problems. But I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm a square. I have just never been into that. <laughs> we should have had Tansy on here. Cause I'm sure Tansy's is high all the time now, especially that he's the next cop. The only thing that surprises me about Tansy, uh, and some is allayed a little bit cause he has his, uh, his discount Theo Vaughn mullet going on right now. Um, mm -hmm. but he never grew a beard. Like uh, every single corrections person I know, once they were out of corrections, they grew a beard. Case in point, me. Case in point, you. You have a beard right now while you're in corrections. I heard that you had to. Like, right. That's your rant. Yeah. yeah didn't I, you I was that? waiting for the rant in this episode. All right. I'll just get. Right, I'll set a <laughs> no, it's okay. Give it. Give it to me. Yeah. No. No, I can. I can tell the story of the beard if you'd like. Well, didn't you have to take it off in 2020 because you had to wear a mask? I did. There were various uh, shorter iterations of the beard, and then I just refused to take um, my face covering. It wasn't really a mask, but um, off you at were any, one of those at with any that, point. With a bl thin blue line flag balaclava, weren't you? Uh, no, it was just a, a black and white flag, I believe. But yeah, similar. Oh, I was so close. Uh, you, were, you were close. You were very close. Um, but yeah, I did shave it uh, a couple points, and then... Uh, 
kept very trim beards, very short beards and stuff during that period. Thankfully, um, they just got rid of the last vestige of the C word. Um, not Tansy's one, the, the other one with the initials, um, <laughs> at work, but it was interesting back several years ago, way before, um, the Rona, um, when I grew my, I started growing my beard out. They said they had a, a length, I believe it was like half an inch. They said that's like the policy at the time. And so I used to just trim my beard to half an inch on days off. And then I just wanted to, you know, start an experiment to see how much um, the administration at that time cared. And uh, I just started growing my beard from that point just to see how long it could get before someone would talk to me about it. Well, did you guys and, have snap inspections where someone would come up to you and you had to stand at attention and they took a ruler and held it up to your face and you're like, this is clearly no. 0.75 inches? No. How do they know how long half an inch no. is? Because you take a beard and you brush it up with your hands and it's all of a sudden it's floofy. Mm-hmm. You brush it down, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, that's that's a very kempt beard, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's it was funny because it's it's a it, my beard grows. I know this because of this experiment at the rate of about uh, half an inch a month. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> it was actually uh, eleven months before anyone said to me anything to me about my beard. So my beard, from measuring from my chin, was about, six inches long. About six inches. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's that's a long ass beard. That's longer than I think the Thank- longest beard I've ever had was six inches. Thank you. That's what that's what she said. Yes, she said was that was say, more than adequate. And I was about to say too, like, but our, you know, <laughs> you and me, like, our idea of what constitutes six inches is probably not even Subway's <laughs> idea of what constitutes six inches. So, you know, who the yeah, hell was. I know. Now Jared has a different problem, completely different relationship with footlongs. Yeah, um, yeah, very good. Gosh, you, you beat me to it. I'm like, as soon as you said Jared, I'm like, I'm gonna get in a good one as soon as he stops talking. No, you you got it. <sighs> Um, and then what was that Nassar doctor getting stabbed? That was good. I was, uh, I was kind of yeah, unfortunate that, that it was a, a, a shank. Abby sent that to me. And uh, I think Abby's going to grow disillusioned with me because she sent that to me. And I'm just like, I don't know who that is. And she goes, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, I don't fucking know. And just like with you talking about the movies, like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on in the movies. Like I'm looking forward to mission impossible, but it's like the first movie I've been looking forward to in forever. I don't know who this Nassar mm. guy is. I'm supposed to know, I guess this is really bad too, because I'm a, I guess I'm a podcaster type guy. And so we're always constantly talking about stuff in the news and drew will do this too. I'm like, Hey, did you see the outcome of X case? I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that happened. And I just constantly look <laughs> ignorant all the time, but I, I, it's cause I don't watch the news. I gave up. I, right. I've said this before. I stopped watching the news when Mitt Romney threw the second debate to Barack Obama. Like it was all over. And I watched a little bit of news after Trump got elected the day after and the news media is just like, man, we got it all wrong. We said Hillary Clinton was a lock. We need to take a long, hard look at ourselves because like everything we've been saying is wrong. And we also need to give President Trump a chance. And I'm like, I'm sitting there laughing. I'm like, how long is it until they give him the W treatment where they start treating him like he's unethical and stupid? Like both of those things are going to happen. And sure enough, not long. Yeah. sure enough, they, they actually redefined, um, you know, treatment of the president so that the treatment of George W. Bush looked like kid stuff in comparison. Not that I necessarily feel bad or I'm defending Donald Trump. But like, that's why I don't watch the news. Right. I, I always explain my my news is being like this now you could say like well 
the news has a liberal agenda or the news is trying to do this or the news is just straight up fake news or the news is unprofessional or the news has no standards anymore i will say that like i was newsmax was on tv the other day and they had like a they had a typo on the screen on the text on the bottom like they they used the wrong version of a word i'm like well it's you know. there there and there whatever yes, it was a homophone or whatever i remember years and years ago i was watching espn and uh the Cowboys had lost, and the Texans had won on Sunday. I'm shocked. Um, well, you know, we don't need commentary from you because you're like a Denver Broncos fan or some bullshit. Anyway, um, I'm just kidding. I have no idea what you're a fan of. We have never discussed football. But I, if I may make my point without, like, getting into it, they said uh, that, you know, Matt Schaub is the best quarterback in Texas. That's clearly a dig at Tony Romo, right? And let me ask you this. Who the hell's Matt Schaub? Do you even remember Matt Schaub? No, actually. No. And even in the history of forgettable of Houston Texans quarterbacks, like Matt Schaub doesn't stand out, right? Like David Carr stands out more because like he was sacked over a thousand times in a season or whatever, or Deshaun Watson for uh, his dalliances or whatever. No one fucking remembers Matt Schaub. But so you have these commentators saying Matt Schaub is the best quarterback in Texas. You know, clearly they dig at Tony Romo. Um, Tony Romo went on to do many more things. Maybe, you know, you can say, well, you know, he, he wasn't great. Maybe you're like me and you could say that he was, but who the fuck is Matt Schaub? So my point is the news just reacts. They basically take whatever's right in front of them. They react to it. They say, this is my reaction. It's usually liberal or ignorant or uninformed. And then that's it. They're never held to account for that. That guy's never like, hey, like, do you remember that time when you had that take that Matt Schaub was better than Tony Romo? Did you want to issue a correction on that? There's no corrections. Every every single dues agency is now as rigorous as Sports Center, where they just say, "This is what happened on on Sunday, and this is my take on it." I think Matt Schaub's better than Tony Robo, and you know it's patently absurd. And there's never corrections for it, and uh, no one's ever held to account, and no one remembers. So stuff happens in the news, and we just move on to the next thing because it's a 24-hour cycle. And I'm the only one on earth that remembers that anyone ever thought that Matt Schaub was better than Tony Robo. But for me, that was just the microcosm of it all. That we that the news just fucking talks and they move on and they try to influence people's opinions just long enough until they can influence them in a different way. So that's why I don't know who Dr. Nassar is because of fucking Matt Schaub, okay? <laughs> well, now I have something else to discuss with my therapist. You traumatized me saying I'm a Broncos fan. That's Well, what are you a fan of? Like let's get to know each <laughs> other. Don't don't tell me you're just baseball or something, right? No, no. Well, oh, I I never followed. Well, I've I've been to a few fights where hockey games broke out, but if this is, if that's you say just because I'm from the fan, This is our last episode. <laughs> no, I actually don't. The only the only uh, professional sport I follow with any kind of interest actually is football. But uh, I am a member of Bills Mafia, so. Oh, that makes sense. Do you remember the time in the '90s when the Cowboys just kept fucking beating the Bills at the Super Bowl? <laughs> Right, and then do you remember all the previous times now where the the Cowboys have the record? Actually, I think for the first round knockout of the playoffs, they do. more than any other team. So, yeah. but then the Bills have never won a Super Bowl. So, well, there is. I also want to draw your attention to twenty years of Tom Brady dominance, in which the Bills couldn't even win their division. At least the Cowboys statistically are winning the division like every other year. So. And anyway, like how we're like taking shots at each other, you know, I would actually love That's to see our the version Bills. of therapy. Yes, I would love to see the Bills 
I you know I won't say win the Super Bowl because in any like obviously the Super Bowl my hope is that the Cowboys are there beating them. But if they want to go to the Super Bowl, that's fine. If they want to beat the other NFC team in the Super Bowl, I will cheer for them. I was actually watching that AFC Championship game where it could have been no, it could have been a divisional game where against the Chiefs two years ago where like. Both teams had scored like seven touchdowns in the last minute and a half. Yeah. And I like my my partner that I was watching with is a Bills fan. And he he's like, we're both trying to dispatch him, but we're both like just sweating. And I was just like, it's over, man. The Bills got it. The Bills got it. And he's cheering. And then like Patrick Mahomes is on the field for four seconds and he scores a touchdown. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And I was really against the Chiefs because this other coworker I have who I've mentioned before, I, I don't you know, he's annoying. I don't he's a big Chiefs fan and he has been super annoying since the Mahomes era ever took place. And I am I I don't. Like this past Super Bowl with the Chiefs and the Eagles, I just I wanted to just kill myself because it's like I have to root for the Chiefs in this one because I hate the Eagles more than anyone else on earth. And it's just my God. And it, it just I hate the Chiefs. So I would love to see the Bills win. Have you ever seen the documentary um The Four Falls of Buffalo? It's a thirty. No. It's a thirty by thirty documentary. You should absolutely watch it. I was a huge fan of that. When you talk about how talented that Buffalo Bills team was with Jim Kelly, and mm-hmm. the heartbreak that they had to go through, we you know with Scott Norwood missing the kick and all this. Um, I highly recommend it to you. I should just send it to you uh, since I don't really compensate you a lot for the, being on the show. But the documentary, The Four Falls of Buffalo, you know, going to four consecutive Super Bowls and losing all four of them, uh, just. Amazing. Which, yeah, at that point, I don't think anyone had had that many consecutive ever. No. Um, what's weird <laughs> What's weird is that, um, exactly, is that, uh, you know, the Cowboys came close to, to going to four in a row. Uh, the 49ers scooped in, and, you know, Deion Sanders, when he was playing for the 49ers, he committed pass yeah. interference on Michael Irvin in the NFC Championship game that never got called. And so, basically, the 49ers were handed a Super Bowl for, for you know, free of charge. Which I think is the reason why I hate the 49ers, but uh, even in the Patriots era, you know, even Tom Brady was never even able to put together four consecutive. You know, he was never even able to get into a place where he lost four consecutively. Tom Brady's lost a lot of Super Bowls, but that team, uh, the Buffalo Bills, to be able to go to four consecutively was huge. Now, because I always like to play both sides, you know, detractors will say, well, the AFC was so much weaker back then. The NFC was dominant. You know, the AFC was just a bunch of middling teams, and it wasn't hard to kind of come out of that as as the top team, whereas in the NFC it was, you know, the Cowboys, it was the Packers, it was the 49ers, and I'll just say, you know, Team 4, whatever that might have been. Maybe I was going to say the Rams, but it wasn't them. You know, that they were just much more competitive conference, and so you only had a few good teams in the NFC, and the NFC was weaker, but... I don't know. I've been arguing about it for years now with a friend of mine who's a Patriots fan, and it's looking to me more like things have switched now to where the AFC is dominant. But the Bills coming back, the Bills coming back as a team that not only am I aware of, but they're like I, you know, I know who plays for the Bills. I think that's huge, and I I hope the Bill. I hope good things happen for the Bills. Generally speaking, like if it comes down to them and the Cowboys, I'm not going to root for them. But and the broad swath of AFC teams, why not Bills? You know. Yeah, go Bills. I mean, that's that's how you say hello and goodbye in Western New York. So, Cole Beasley, man, and most things. I don't know if you enjoyed watching him play. I loved Cole Beasley. <laughs> uh, yeah, his story mm-hmm. with the Cowboys was amazing. He he came in as, and I'm sure I'll just be wrong on this because I remember things from more romantically. But it's like he came in as a walk on in preseason, and he had 
these great preseason games, and he was doing amazing things. And of course, someone akin to Ben DiNucci is throwing it to him. Not as, that's not as like to Ben DiNucci. It's just when you're in preseason, like you're trying out these extra quarterbacks. And mm. so, but he had this. He was just doing amazing, just amazing things, even in preseason. And then he got like very, very, very injured in a preseason game. Like it was season-ending injury, where it's like, well, so much for trying out for the Cowboys. You're not even going to get to play anywhere. And he came back the following season. The Cowboys invited him back to camp. And he balled out, and he made the team. And then, like, you know, then he's the slot receiver, and, like, your constant pressure valve, always good for picking up, you know, four yards, five yards out of the outside. Just a solid, reliable player. And then um, everything that came out with him and the vaccine saying, I'd rather retire than, you know, be forced this thing. And just like, fuck, yeah, Cole Beasley. And by then, he was already playing for the Bills, so I've always been a mm. big Cole Beasley fan. The only thing I don't like is, like, he wants to be Eminem. I think you have to be <laughs> Eminem to, to legitimately want to be Eminem. And otherwise, right. I think, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because then you you look like Kurt Thuggins. Like, it's kind of sad. I don't know. I'm not, not a big fan of that. But, yeah, no, Cole Be- Beasley's entertaining on and off the field. He's a fellow man of uh, contra- controversy, um, the underdog. I was always rooting for him to make it back to the team last year. Um, I think he was on the practice squad and got elevated. So, again, he's just bringing up, and I guess he's practicing with guys now. So we'll see how oh, see how things go. Did he unretire? Because he went and played with Tampa Bay. He came in late mm-hmm. in the season, which means yeah, he, and the, he never got built into their scheme. No, and he was playing uh, – he retired, and he was playing basketball, was what he was saying, to stay conditioned. And he called up uh, McDermott, Coach McDermott, and – was like hey man like kind of unfortunate how things ended and i'd like another shot he's like okay well we'll put you on the practice squad see how you do and then he ended up playing and playing towards the latter part of the season quite a bit so he wasn't as utilized but again he was you know the underdog i gotta gotta appreciate that so i guess our our form of therapy and bonding is uh talking about football i don't think that really works for inmates though because they're they're all or at least where I'm at, they they all seem to be um, Raiders fans for some reason. So every uh, time yeah. I see a, you're in the a Raiders you're sticker on a car, in, incarcerated, of course they're Raiders. Right? They're, yeah, I mean, some of them are Raiders yeah. players. So. <laughs> I think that's yeah. You have to have a, a certain number of felonies to be to be on the team. So I'm I'm glad I'm anonymous because I'm probably alienating a lot of people right now with my with my comments as usual. Ironically, I just saw a new statistic. I follow this stuff because, like, the Cowboys and the Raiders have this reputation for, like, the bad boys in the NFL, which, first of all, I want to say about the NFL, like, their arrest rate compared to society, since we're going to compare two numbers, is much, much lower. And why is that? Well, because they have to spend all of their time, like, conditioning themselves. They have every incentive to stay out of trouble. It's like, just don't break the law, and, like, you're going to be made into a multimillionaire. Um, so first of all, NFL players generally are better behaved than society. So everyone gets all mad at NFL players. Look at these divas. They think they can don't go out and do whatever they want. And it's because usually when they fuck up, they fuck up hard. Like that guy who was the first overall pick for the Raiders that ended up, you know, drinking and driving and killing somebody like that was horrific. And then your classic cases like OJ Simpson, you know, Heisman running back murders his wife and that other guy, <laughs> you know, you always have those, those really, really obvious cases. But, uh, so I always follow this for that reason, you know, and people, people always joke with me that, you know, the Cowboys are like Jerry Jones uh, hires a certain number of, of felons because uh, he can maintain a tax exempt status as a halfway house, you know? And I'm, so 
I, I always, how I always uh, talk shit around football is I actually learn the stats and the history of all the other teams. Like people try to take me to task on football all the time, and I always shame them because I'm like, actually, you know, your team's history is this, and what you've achieved is this. So, you know, like if you're a Lions fan, like you're not even allowed to speak to me. First of all, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but. So I maintain, I, I track this stat of like who, which team is leading an arrest. And it was, it was the Minnesota Vikings with DUIs, which makes sense to me because number one, there's nothing to do up, up that way north but drink, particularly in the, in the wintertime. Like you, there's nothing to do but drink. Wisconsin leads the nation in, in drinking and driving. So uh, you're right next to Wisconsin there in Minneapolis. But uh, it just changed. The Denver Broncos now lead the NFL in terms of arrests. I don't know about convictions. Jake, it sounds like you got to go be a dad. <laughs> yes, but she a Broncos uh, we, fan and she just doesn't want to hear it. Deal with it. You are owned by Walmart now. No, no, my children, uh, my son, uh, just at a few months old, was watching Bills games and saying "Go Bills." So uh, well, it was have, it was pretty early on. Made them early because no no uh, no adult that can make decisions for themselves is going to choose the Bills. So I, I understand why you would need to just get that in before he can think critically to just to just automatically love the Bills. Do you see what I did there? Do you see how mean that right. was? Right. It was fucking right, ridiculous. but I mean, you you got to talk about the loyalty though of you know not having been a Cowboys fan and not been to the Super Bowl since what ninety six something hey, like that. At least and, I've seen it. At least I know what it's like for the Cowboys <laughs> to win the Super Bowl. I've seen them do it in my life. This is true. Three times. This is true. Let me ask you this: What does it feel like when your favorite team wins the Super Bowl? I'll just leave it to you there, Jake. Oh, that ice, <laughs> that eerie silence of the Arctic plain as you failing to explain how great it feels to win the Super Bowl. Do you see how fucking mean I get? Because right. people well, talk to me about the Cowboys and they're like, yeah, you have to watch the Super Bowl on VHS. But I'm like, fuck you. You can't watch your team win the Super Bowl anywhere. Like, particularly <laughs> Vikings fans. My favorite line with them is with the, they come at me and you can see I'm getting wound up. It's like, man, you're living in the past with them Cowboys. And I say to the Vikings fans, you're living in the never was. What the fuck are right. you talking about? You have nothing to enjoy. Like the last time you went to the Super Bowl was 1977 when there was only like 21 teams in the NFL. So don't even get me started. Well, that's what I talk about. Like the loyalty of being a Bills fan all these years, you know, finally being rewarded. And I, I feel I feel bad for the Lions fans. But we do have an edict on this show. So for our um, final, for the closing joke this evening, this afternoon uh you just doxed the time of day <laughs> oh damn it i've re re revealed my too much about myself again i could do Need i could do football all day by the way so if we keep this going into the fall like prepare for having it to be football <laughs> so go go ahead take us out with a with a, a joke jake and then we'll start the show by the way go ahead with the joke so do you know the difference between uh toilet paper and gold uh, gold set of curtains So it was you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a joke. It's a challenge. John, do you understand the difference between toilet paper and curtains? 